If you like the way I shake my butt, baby, you should go and touch yourself. Uh, I have no responsibility. screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Commander Cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at best. Hello everyone, and welcome to Commander Cast episode 249. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mdgcast.com and our home site, CommanderCast.com. We're recording this on May 26, 2016. I am your host of the show, William, and joining me as always is my perennial co-host, Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hello, everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, it is a high Calvin, the captain of the Red Zone. And yes, I am currently taking off my pants. I didn't ask you if you were taking your pants off. I wasn't talking to you. Well, of course you weren't talking to me, but I still didn't ask, and neither did they. Well, some of them did. Pretty sure there's some listeners that feel like, I wonder if Calvin's taking his pants off right now. No. You know what? No one was thinking that. Right. Calvin's taking his pants off. Yes, Calvin is taking his pants off. Why is Calvin taking his pants off? Because Calvin just got in from work, so I got to get out of my work scrubs so I can, you know, not get them dirty. Well, dirtier. Work scrubs? You found some more work at the the dentist's office? Yeah, I'm constantly finding odds and ends work here and there. That's good to hear. I'm actually glad to hear Alright, so Calvin, we do not have any Commander Panda today because stuff actually came up last minute. Apparently. So there's no Commander Panda today because William decided he wanted to hunt down pandas. What? No, I don't hunt pandas. They're William not... hates bears. Yep, and they're not bears. Like just because they fake, just because they have bear in a name. So to any of our listeners who happen to be male, very large and potentially covered in hair, watch your back. William's out there. He will find you. He will shoot you. No, I won't. There's no money in it. Hashtag William hates bears. That's just a given. All right then. So Calvin, we're gonna go ahead and get this going. Who's your favorite commander this week? Uh, no idea, cause I just got into work. Just got in from work, and I have no clue who my favorite commander for the week is. And you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? We're going with Ashling. Yeah. When the captain, when captain can't come up with someone, Ashling is always there to have his back. Oh man, I actually just played against an Ashling the po- Pilgrim player online. They were. Your ass. Nope, they were not nice. Mm. Honestly, the only reason I lost that game was because I misclicked right past my uh-huh. attack step. Otherwise, they were dead. Like, they were saying good game in the chat and everything. But so before that, Ash- they were rude. So, Ashley, kick that ass. I still count as my win. Sure you do. I do. Just like, <laughs> I, just like I count my, <laughs> one of my ac- wins as someone as an actual loss later that day. Like, MTGOs doesn't see it that way. MTGOs doesn't see it that way. But for the purposes of the actual videos, I count it that way. Right. Listeners. Let us know. Do you count it that way? Does William getting his ass handed to him by an Ashley in the Pilgrim deck and then try to determine and then try to come on the show and say that the reason that he lost was because of X, Y, and or Z? Do you see that as a win? Let us know in the comments. Hit us up in an email. Or, you know, just go over to Twitter and be like, hashtag William lost. That's not going to be a thing. Hashtag William lost. 
that's not going to be a thing. You're saying it's not going to be a thing makes it a thing. No, it's not, because it's not going to be a thing. Hashtag William Lost. I... The only thing I've lost recently is some decks, because I've actually been in the process of tearing apart all my commander decks past week. Nah, William's going through the Great Purge of but, 2015. Uh, less the Great Purge, more the Great Reconstruction, the Great Refreshening, I guess. Evidently, Sheldon was kind of doing this too, where after he had so many decks built, he was... You know, he realized that he had the same problem I did. You know, a lot of those decks weren't really as tuned and had fallen by the wayside. So right now, I'm going to tear, tear them all apart and then rebuild them to be the best versions they can be with some of my new knowledge and for, foresight about deck construction. So what you're saying is that you don't have any... You know, that your deck sizes... What you're saying is that your decks are going down in quantity because you've taken them apart, correct? Currently, yes. Hashtag William loses. Hashtag William loses. His decks are... He had 24... Now they're down to 20. I had 27. And I've already taken... Actually, I've only got like... I've only got 10 of the 27 left, and I'm tearing apart a few as we record the show. Hashtag William Lost. That's not going to be a thing. Actually, actually, with a couple of these, I was legitimately happy with where they were. I'm still going to tear them apart, but I'm actually going to try and write down their lists so that when I build them, I can pick it up from where I was, and hopefully we have some new tools to help them out. Alright then. So, with that being said, my favorite commander of the week is going to be Sigarda, host of Herons. Because she's one of those decks that I was actually still really, really happy with when I started playing her again, you know, like months after the last time I had picked her up. The other ones being like, uh, Niv-Mizzet and Marath. Although, Niv-Mizzet and Marath were kind of more recently tuned, I was still really happy with those. So, yeah, I think those are really the only three decks that I was super happy with. Really? Yeah, like I'm going to take, ret- like Kali's going to be the last one I take apart, but she's going to be the first one I built. Oh well, we'll see. So how let me it get this straight. So you have 27 decks, or had 27 decks, and at that 27, there's only three of them that you actually looked at and be like, you know what, you three stay. Clo- very close to, like those three decks were actually, if I were to rebuild everything, these would almost be card for card what I had before the I tore everything apart. Like I'm actually. Like, I'm looking through some of my decks, and I go, these things are actually just horrible. How was I having any fun with them? And when I think about it, I kind of wasn't because the decks weren't working the way I wanted them to work. And I think part of that has come with just, you know, doing the alpha build and getting, a, you know, finally coming to terms with, okay, sometimes these cards actually just aren't good enough or strong enough. Or, you know, getting my face pounded in when I go over to Commander every Tuesday because, good lord, I we have some good deck builders now. So what you're saying is, is that you're having trouble with your deck building. Well, you've had trouble with deck building. I did have trouble with deck building. Now, here's the question. Do you have any idea of what direction you're going to be taking these other, like, 24 decks? What direction you'll be going to, going to, that you're going to be going with them? Uh, for most of them, yeah, I actually do know what directions I want to take them. Part of the problem was, like, I forced square pegs into round holes. You know, Crazy. so, like, I would try and force planeswalkers into every one of my decks because I wanted to play with all my planeswalkers, right? Or I would force myself to find room for cycles of new cards, like the dragons or the gods or stuff like that, even when they weren't that good for the deck. Hmm. This time, the first time, it was about playing cards. This ne- new iteration, it's going to be about playing decks. Gotcha. So everything's going to be much more cohesive, better synergetic, and get back to playing styles of magic that I love, rather than trying to just cram cards in the 
Alright, so then, that's our favorite commands of the week. Guys, if you want to leave a comment or anything like that, you can go ahead and hit us up on the Facebook page, Twitters, anything like that. You can also email us, you know, commandercats at gmail.com. But if you want to leave a little more than a comment, you can go ahead and leave us a tip on Patreon and just a tip. Just a tip, ladies and gentlemen, a single dollar on Patreon. You too can support CommanderCast.com. Help us pay them hosting fees. And if you want to be a little bit more generous, you want to slide a little more than a tip in there, we have a, a tier for that called a little bit extra. You can put $2. And then at $3, you get entered into our latest uh, tier that's been put up where you get the chance to go into our, what was it, community discussion. You, you can come up with a topic and you help determine what we'll be talking about. Yep, you yourself can help nominate and vote for different topics that you want to see in a special community's choice. No, Patreon's Choice, yes. Special Patreon's Choice episode that we'll do once a month. Which we have a sparse amount of comments, or topics. But hey, that just means that those ones are more likely to get them in, get chosen. Actually, I still need to get the technology one up. So by the time that you're here, this might actually be dangled, and I'll have to be... Oh, so hold on a second there, William. Listeners all over CommanderCast.com and all over the interwebs, we have a special, special announcement coming to you live. Come on. Wait, what, over here. what announcement? What you got to say? Wait, I there's an announcement. I'm Join Camaracast and watch our videos. <laughs> there we go. And there's my son wanting to hornswoggle his way into my podcast yet again. What? I did not tell him to say that, ladies and gentlemen. He just does that on his own. I was confused there for a second. Okay then, Calvin, which one was the Camaracast baby originally? Hmm? That was my son, Alexander, the one who just made that weird announcement about watching Commander Guy's videos. Like, we have videos available for you to watch. Like, oh yeah, that's right, we do. We have the alpha build that William does. And if you want to see those videos earlier, you can join the Patreon. And on YouTube, you can also go there and look up CommanderCast.com. Or look up CommanderCast, and we're putting up our shows. The show you're listening to right now is actually available on YouTube. For however long this show runs, it's going to be there. So if you just want to hear the sound of our voice through iTunes, you want to hear the sound of our voices through Stitcher, or hey, maybe you have YouTube Red and you just want to go ahead and abuse that bad boy with an hour and a half or more of CommanderCast content, you can do that too. Actually, I do get our episodes up on the YouTubes. So, hey, you want to do that? You can. So, going into our first community segment, there have been a lot of spoilers for Eternal Masters. We have a little something planned for next week, so this is really the best time for us to go over it. We're going to look at some of these Eternal Masters and tell you why this is a Commander Cast treasure trove. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Oh my god, they have so many good stuff. I love it all so much. Yeah, you do. They've got Chain Lightning. Yeah, they do. And Gamble. Yeah, they do. Oh, man, they got Counterspell. Beautiful Counterspell. Yeah, they do. And Tim. They got Tim. Tim? So, today in our community segment, Calvin hasn't seen shit. I haven't seen a damn thing. All right. So, Calvin, let's go ahead and, uh, I guess I'll go ahead and walk you through some of the stuff that we've been, uh, spoiled with. Starting with... Well, before we do that... We're talking about, what are we talking about? We're Eternal talking about Masters? Eternal Masters, yeah. All right, and when does it come out? It comes out in a couple of weeks, I want to say. Let's go ahead and double check that real quick. So Eternal Masters release date. Coming out June 10th, 2016. That is in two weeks. And what format is it aimed towards? 
It's Antwort's Eternal, which is not a format, because they've got mostly legacy stuff, but everything that's legacy playable goes into Commander. And then they've got, like, a couple of other stuff. Okay, so basically, it's like Modern Master, but, you know, with a bigger list of cards. Yep, and they've got so much great stuff in here. And we're not even done with the spoilers. Like, normally we'll wait till all the spoilers are out to actually talk about a set. But again, we have someone special planned to come out next month. So why don't we go ahead and take a look at some of this right now and help Calvin get caught up to speed. Yes. Yeah. So we're going off of Mythic Spoiler right now. And the biggest one, J- Calvin, is that Jay's the Mind Sculptor is going to be. Uh, well, I guess. I mean, we actually, this, so what surprised me is that we actually had someone walk into the store the day that was spoiled and be like, I'm going to buy that foil Jace that's in the case. Yeah. Right. Because we're only charging like 320 after our discount for spending so much money. And I look at him and I go, funny joke. Real funny. And he goes, no, I'm serious. And I look at him for a second and I go, you know Jace was just spoiled, right? He's like, yeah, I know. And that's actually fair because the foil on that, probably not going to be crashing. Especially since he's game for almost 100 less than what's currently going for on TCG Mid. Mm-hmm. The fact that Jay's the Mind Sculptor can now be reprinted as a foil, and the fact that you can get said foil is really exciting for a lot of people who just never thought they would get a chance to get this Jace. Well, in the same well, when you think about it, this is the third time Jace has been printed, technically. Uh, yeah. First because he was printed in the um, in a Word Wake from the original Zendikar block. He's being reprinted here. And he was printed in the From the Vaults 20. Yep. So it's nice to see the Jace gets printed here because it does give people a chance to try to crack him open. So, you know, he's basically like Tomagoyf now, where, you know, the price for him and his other variations probably won't change all that significantly. You know, like, because when Tomagoyf, because before Tomagoyf got reprinted, it was like running like, what was it, like $100? Something like, like that. Something like 100 125 something like that. Well, the Tomagoyf went up because, remember, this was about the uh, the Tomagoyf effect that Sweet came up with, which was, oh, hey, I've got a Tomagoyf. I only need three more, and I can play, like, Jund in Modern. With Jace, mm-hmm. Jace doesn't really have that. Like, he's seen in, like, a couple of legacy lists, and that's really it. I can see people certainly holding on to Jace's because they'll be like, oh, I can play this Commander or whatever. But I don't think anyone's going to open a Jace and be like, oh, hey, man, I can only need, like, three more, and I can play Miracles. Which is a fair point. Because while granted, Jace doesn't really get used nearly as much as the Goyf does, but my view of it is, is like, you know, Jace is already at 300, give or take. Mm -hmm. So the printing of this, it's not like printing more of him is going to give you a reason to have him in more, like more copies of him in a particular deck, especially if you're talking about like legacy or vintage, because these are the formats where technically if you want it for Jace, your deck has for Jace because it's legacy vintage. So, if a deck needed for Jace, it would already have it. So even though these Jaces will be available, I don't see the demand for them actually affecting the price of what Jace currently runs because any deck that needs it already has access to more than enough copies of what they could use of just like maybe one or two. Yeah, me personally, I've already got my Jace. So if I do happen to open a new one, I'm going to figure out which one's probably worth a little more and find a way to trade it off. Maybe use it to jumpstart my portrait thing, because that's what I'm going to plan on doing with a lot of the extra stuff after I rebuild my decks. Or you could just throw it into the brown box and put it up on Patreon for our listeners to fight over. I mean, I could. I might. Actually... It's the brown in the box. That would be really... 
So that's not just the only thing. You, of course, already knew about the Force of Will, but there are other colors and mythics here, too. The Force of Will? Yeah, the Force of Will with the cool Therese Nielsen art. Okay. So, the red stuff. We get Sneak Attack, Calvin. Ooh, Sneak Attack. Now I got a reason to want to buy this, because I want Sneak Attacks. Yeah. I love Sneak Attack. We got a mythic Sneak Attack, and it's got, like, uh, a, this giant lizard thing coming down from the mountains, just pouncing this poor guy who's not even looking. Just snack, just attacking all the Sneak Elite. Oh man. But the uh the other one is actually kind of a it's a little bit of a junkie card, it's the World Gorger Dragon. You remember that one? Yeah, the World Gorger Dragon. Isn't that the red card that was banned for its ability to exile things? Um it was banned <laughs> It was banned, I think, because it was part of an infinite loop with stuff like um that's yeah. a dragon that egg, like when it when it comes into play it exiles stuff and when it leaves play it it um returns stuff it exiled right yeah or like, something like that like you would combine it with anime to get like and some other stuff to get like just infinite triggers yeah word gorger dragon with anime dead word gorger dragon dies uh word word gorger dragon shows up removes anime dead from the game anime dead goes off of word gorger dragon forcing word gorger dragon to die. After it dies, it triggers and then brings back anime dead, which then kind of repeats itself. And then, you know, depending on what you have in your deck to feed off of this infinite loop, you can pretty much win the game, depending on how your deck is set. So, yeah, we're a gorgeous dragon. I know the card. I mean, I don't know the deck, but I know the card. Yeah. So that's going to be the other red. Right now, we've gotten to the point where most of the mythics have been spoiled. We're waiting for, like, maybe... We're definitely waiting for one more white mythic, and maybe a, maybe a land myth. So the other red mythic is Tim, right? No, no, no. Tim's actually a... I think he's a... What is he he's a red common? No, Tim is a blue uncommon. So he's a red mythic that is so mythic because... It, it's so badass and mythic that it had to change its mythic color to blue. Let's go with that. Alright then. Then, let's see. So looking at the black, we get Necropotence, which I'm actually really happy with because it's the From the Vault art version. So we can finally get the From the Vault art version in foil without the From the Vault foiling. And then the the art for this vampiric tutor is really cool. It's this hand holding a skull, and the skull's got like a dagger in it. So the other interesting thing is that we get all the uh, those tutor cycles. They haven't shown the wor- worldly tutor yet, but we've got like enlightened tutor, mystical tutor, gamble, and then the, all those are regular rares. But the vampiric tutor is mythic. You can get a foil vampiric tutor. That's actually okay. So I'm gonna to need to repeat some of that stuff because I had to mute because I was explaining why I had ants all over my damn room. Because my daughter decided she wanted to drink Kool-Aid and leave it here open in the middle of a hot day. So you have ants in there because Kool-Aid? Yeah, Kool-Aid has sugar. Ants are attracted to sugar, so oh yeah. Yeah, so they broke through my wall like the fucking Kool-Aid man and started attacking my daughter's Kool-Aid jar. Good, man. Well, someone sounds a little too happy about that. All right, so. Vampiric Tutor is being reprinted, and it's a mythic. Okay, so Vampiric Tutor's reprinted. Good. More access to more tutors. Yep, we're getting the other tutors in that cycle, like Enlightened Tutor and Mystical Tutor and Gamble. Uh, No Worldly Tutor yet, but those are going to be reprinted at rare. Real question, is Gamble going to be mythic? (laughs) No, Gamble's at rare. (laughs) I would love to see that. Yeah, like, it's got got someone running away from, like, a giant rock, Indiana Jones style. So that's really good. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that artwork to be like a gamble-worthy artwork. That just feels more like one of those traps from Zendikar. Yeah. Back when Zendikar was cool and not infested with the world's largest creatures. Iona? You hush your mouth. 
No, so the uh, the are gonna be there. That, that's really cool because Gamble was actually pushing it over thirty dollars before that announcement. And then okay. in green, green, we've got the Argothian Enchanters, which is that uh, that zero one druid that says whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you can draw a card. And I don't think I have that in Sigarda, so I need to get a copy of that. But then we also got that Natural Order, which for those of you who don't know, Natural Order is a four mana sorcery that says you sacrifice a green creature as part of the cost, and then you search your deck for any green creature and put it directly into play. And I've got the uh, the original art too, it's like this leopard, and there's a monkey laughing at his feet. When I think of natural order, the first thing that comes to my mind is the one that has, what is it, the jolly green giant exploding with leaves around him? What? Okay. Natural order. That can't, that can't be a thing. Let me check. Uh, I believe it was from uh, Portals, right? I'll see. Natural order. Uh, what's Portal? And holy shit, you're right. All right, then. Yeah, there is one with the jolly green giant. Never thought I'd see something like that reprinted in Portal, though. Yeah. And the reason I remember that one so vividly is because in Portal, they didn't have rare, um, the rare color. Everything, all the icons were the same color. So I had no idea that this particular card was a rare. So it ended up in my uncommon box for years. And then one day I happened to have it out and I was playing around with it in one of my EDH decks because, you know, I just kind of liked the way the effect worked. And then someone was like, Hey, I'll trade you for that natural order. And I was like, okay, sure, whatever. I was expecting to get like something like, you know, low or whatever the case may be. I ended up coming out of that deal with uh, Sword of Feast and Famine. Not Sword of Feast and Famine. That was uh, uh, one of the original swords. Fire and Ice. There we go. Ooh, good sword. Yeah, I got me a good sword for Natural Order. And then I looked online to see how much the sword was. I was like, damn, how much was this damn Natural Order? And I was like, oh, it's roughly the same damn price. Time, I believe it was like $70. And here I am, playing around with a $70 uncommon in my mind. <laughs> it was, no clue. It was never an uncommon, though. It was like a, It was a rare. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But in my mind, it was I'm sitting around playing with a $70 card. To me, it's just an uncommon. Just another random card from out of my random common pile. Uncommon pile from my box that I had just literally sitting at like the foot of my bed for like years. All right, then. So then, let's see. The white mythic is balanced. But there's a second one that we're missing. There's nothing balanced about that. Nope. Oh, but there's so much exciting stuff in like the multicolors and the artifacts and the lands. Like, ignoring the fact that Dak Bane's getting reprinted, which, horrible card, I don't know why they would reprint that. You we, know it's your favorite card. We get a new match of Wanderer. You know you love Dak Bane. No, no, no. William loves the Dak. No, fuck that fucker. Like, what the actual hell? No, no. There is like, no... hashtag William wants Dak. That's actually worse than hashtag William loses. Hashtag William loses. No, he doesn't. Well, he does a lot, but that's not an actual, that's not going to be an actual hashtag thing. I'm just surprised that you're actually saying he, as opposed to saying I. You're like Williams talking about himself in a third part in a third person. Williams losing his mind. Hashtag William loses. So this is some really cool Master Wander art now. So does he still look like Zordberg? That's actually the thing. Like you can see, kind of see his legs in the back, but you don't get to see him as you know. It's cool looking. It's really cool. It looks a little bit like the Artbound Ravager. But you don't really see the space crabness of the Master Wander. And can I have him altered to put and have a, a a lab coat put on it? Oh, I think you absolutely could with this art. Like this oh. looks like some very nice art that you could very easily buy. Well, that's all that matters. Um, we're getting Vindicate reprint. Vindicate the black white sorcery. The black white sorcery that just says destroy target permanent, and this is the one with the uh, the sword art. Like, we've had so many close to Vindicates in the most recent sets, like that Other End and then the Anguish I'm Making. But no, this Vindicate actually just says Vindicate. 
I love it. That's actually the one piece of like just permanent removal I don't think I have for Kalia is a Vindicate. And it's a rare. It's a regular rare. What was that? Vindicate's a rare. It's a regular rare. And that's understandable. I mean, you know, technically it's a very, very good piece of removal, but it's not something that I would want in my mythic spot. Ooh, and then, but you know what we do have in a mythic spot? What? Mana Crypt. Mana Crypt? Mana okay. Crypt. That's right. So, you two can now have a Soul Ring for free. Yay. Because Soul Mana- Ring needed to be better. Of course. And, you know, and this, we can actually have all to look like the puzzle box from uh, Hellraiser. Actually, when did Mana Crypt come out? That's This is re- relevant. Let's see. NTGO Masters 2. When was the media insert? I need to figure this out now. This is relevant for the Alpha build. Oh, so this way you can figure out a way to finagle a way to get better cards into your pool so you can get around having to play Homelands? I already played with Homelands, alright? that's That was not a pleasant experience. There were there's only like two cards in there. Yeah, yeah. William William went through and played cards from Homelands in his deck. And it was Ugh. horrible. Yeah, that was a waste of time. Hashtag William loses. I his did lose that. And his mind. You know what? I did lose that weekend. It was horrible. There we go. Hashtag William loses. I'm making this a thing. No, you're not. That's Damn not right gonna be I am. That's not going to be a thing. Like, I'm about to go on Twitter now and just put it in there. Oh, but hey, you know what is going to be on the Eternal Masters? It's one of our favorite cards. The Isochron uh, Scepter. Superman. Oh, Isochron Scepter? Internal Masters? Yeah. Not that it looked like the Scepter from, um, uh, what was it? From Mirrodin? Or does it look like the, like, promo Scepter art from the, from the Volt's Artifact? Uh, I want to say from the fault artifacts because it's not the eyeball one. Yeah, so it was just a scepter by itself. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. That's the four you would lead one. Uh, or the one it was. Isochrony scepter. Uh, yep, that's the from the vault relics. And actually, I actually like that art quite a bit too. I kind of like them both. If I had to pick a one that I actually like better, I would probably go with the original one. Just because it kind of has, like, that woman just sitting there holding it. Like, she's getting ready to use it as, like, a dildo. I wouldn't say that. Like, hey, if you walked into, like, a, a shop and you found, like, the perfect play toy, just sit there and stare at it. It's like, you know what? This one. You can see, like, the light gleaming off of it and everything. I mean, I've been into some of those shops, and they don't let the sun shine in for good reason. For one thing, you bleach all the covers of the beast. Alright, so there's, like, I want to say two or three major ones left. They, why did they reprint Winter Orb? Uh, because it's Eternal Master. Winter Orb did not have need a, to attack. And they need to find a way for you to torture and kill all of your friends in very slow and meaningless fashion. Winter Orb did not need to be untapped. Or it did not need to be reprinted. Why can't they just leave, leave that in the past? We don't need more people playing with Winter Orb. Winter Orb salted up so many of my games last week. Alright, so then we've also got the Crawl Mox. You know that the one where you... Mo- you enter the field, you exile a non-artifact, non-land card, and it makes mana the card you discarded. Or, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it's that card that's similar to, like, Isochron Scepter, but does stuff for mana instead. Yeah. If you exile a multicolor card, it makes multiple different kinds at one point. Like, not all at once, but you have your choice. See, hearing these particular... See, hearing the cards that you're talking about kind of makes me wonder what Wizards is intending to be the decks that you would play when drafting the... uh. Legacy Masters. I'm pretty sure the Black Green one is going to be Elf Tribal. Right. Well, the thing is, like, I'm seeing, I'm hearing a lot of cards here just from the small list, and apparently two of them already have imprint on them. And 
not don't get me wrong. I have no problem with imprint whatsoever. But in the same token, it just seems kind of like the. I'm pretty sure we went down that road once with mod with one of the modern masters, didn't they? Hmm. Um. Let's see. With the original modern masters, they actually did have a lot of really great cards, and it's just not as playable. No, not playable wasn't the word. Not it, playable, but deck, but not like you know, like they didn't no infringe on the deck. they didn't infringe on the archetypes. Like they weren't really built around me's, but they were also just really good they cards. Were around any, yeah, like you would basically draft your rare because it was so good, and then you would draft a deck that happened to have that card in it. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to like think because if this Legacy Masters is like the second version of Modern. Then just from hearing these particular cards, I'm envisioning like there's probably going to be more imprint stuff. Um, but then I don't think maybe so. they're just maybe they're just doing it kind of like the first modern, where it's just like yeah, here's just some really cool stuff, and you know, enjoy. I definitely think it's going to be more like that. Oh, and there's like let's see, so we got Caracas, which is that mythic, but that's not that's actually banned from Commander. It's relevant to me because I want to play Death and Taxes and Legacy, but that's it. Why don't you play Death and Taxes and Commander? You've got 24 decks to make up for. Might as well give it a try. Because I don't want to play that deck in Commander. I already played that deck in Legacy. I don't want to play in Commander. Eh, sounds to me like somebody's a bitch. It's not me. So we got Maze of Vith at uh, Rare. Maze of Bitch. Yeah, it's the, uh, this one's the Fun the Vault art, too. There's a lot of these that they actually end up using the Fun the Vault arts, which makes me happy. Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I'm glad that they're getting a chance to use that artwork again. And... You know, it's understandable as to why they're doing that, because, you know, a large portion of these particular cards had to have new artwork so Wizard could be able to reprint them. Oh, and this is like the last, I want to say the last major rare? Is it Ashley in the Pilgrim? No. Ashley in the Pilgrim, in Legacy, in Legacy Masters. This one is Sensei's Divining Top. Uh... What? You don't like okay. the Divining Top? You don't want everyone to have a chance at the Divining Top? You don't want your Commander games taking like four plus hours? Our commander games already take four plus hours. I wasn't doing that for me. I was doing that mostly for clues because as soon as I heard divining top, I'm like, mm, I'm pretty sure that there's going to be some judges out there that are going to be pretty damn pissed about this. Hashtag stop the top. That's where you should be putting your hashtags on. Stop the top. Not this William loses nonsense. Stop. William loses. But then again, that probably won't be a hashtag because everybody already knows that. Now that's just me. Mean or true? You decide. Yes. I wasn't talking to you, loser. I was talking to the to the listeners. All right. Well, we got some other cool stuff here too. Like we got the nimble mongoose. He's gonna be a common. That's right, nimble mongoose. So nimble, so mongoosey. And then we've got the werebear, but he no longer has the right to bear arms. Oh, never mind then. Yeah. Vintage master sucks. They've got werebear, but he does not have the right to bear arms. Boo, boo, wizards. Shame, shame on you. A oh, plague, a plague on a plague on all your houses. Oh, but we do get Anime Dead with some sweet right. new art. Got like these undead giant waking up. And he's got like this evil purple glowy stuff in his eyes. Now, hold on. He's an evil waking up giant? Yep. Now, if this is the artwork I'm thinking it is, take a close look at it. Is it Sun Titan? Um, he has a tri-corner hat, it's like. Oh, because I remember they had an artwork for Reanimate Dead, I believe it was. That had that when you looked at it, it had it looked like um Sun Titan had been resurrected through it. I'm gonna take a look at this. So we have made it. Uh, no, it's not the um the Graveborn Vintage Masters art. Eh, it should have been. That is sweet though. I didn't even notice that that was Sun Titan. 
Well, the, the reason why I was saying it was, I was thinking it was going to be that one was because if it was that one, like, uh, have we ever discussed the reason for why certain cards weren't reprinted? Why certain cards were reprinted where? Why, why certain cards where uh, Wizards doesn't reprint because of the artwork that's attached to them. Oh, stuff like that? Uh, yeah. We haven't actually discussed it, but I do know the reason why. Alright, so, like, just to catch listeners up, certain cards from a long time ago have art on them that According to Wizards' own particular policy for what they had for their artists at the time, basically meant that anytime this art was used, the artist got some type of compensation for it. And it was basically something that Wizards, not necessarily saying like they're trying to like, you know, get every little penny out of everything that they have, was trying to find a way to be able to, you know, get their cards out without having to constantly worry about whether or not an artist would show up and be like, hey, you can't use this artwork because it's mine and I have this particular right and property to it or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And now with and with that, they had a lot of older cards. It's the reason why a large, while the original Moxon, aside from just being fucking broken, were difficult for Wizards to find places to reprint them because those artworks were with an artist and those and the artists that had those particular contracts were, you know, kind of made it difficult for them to go through negotiations to be able to just deal with it. It's long, it's kind of tedious, it's kind of boring for most people. But because of it, there's a large portion of cards that when Wizards does well, do them now, they change the artwork on them. Yes, it is in fact more or less because we have licensing versus commissions. These days, Wizards will contract independent artists, and they will commission different works of art, so that after that commission is done, Wizards owns the art in full name and property. Whereas with, like, the original Black Lotus and Lightning Bolt type things, those were purchased on a, you know, a royalties deal. So every time that art is used, the original artist gets, you know, some amount of the money that those things tend to make. Exactly. And, you know, basically, this is one of the main reasons why a large portion of older art and older magic cards are constantly getting new versions of new forms of artwork added to them. Mainly because if they have them and they have these new forms of art, then Wizards can use them and print them as they see fit. Yep. So looking at some of the other cool stuff, we got Pyroblast and Hydroblast as reprinted. Yay, Pyroblast and Hydroblast. Kill that blue thing. Yeah, actually the, the Pyroblast looks really cool. This guy's like, it's like he's avataring up all this magma from the ground below him. It's really cool. And then we got like Price of Progress. Ooh, that two-minute instant deals damage to each player equal to twice the number of non-basic lands they control. Oh, actually, I kind of want that for Niv-Mizzet. Yeah. The Draco Genius? The Draco Genius. What do you want for him? The Price of Progress. The two-minute instant deals twice the damage equal to the... uh, Deals damage equal to twice the number of non-basic lands that player controls. Ah. That's actually really cool. We've got Dual Caster Mage, which was originally in Commander 2014. Uh, oh yeah, the red mage that shows up and has flash and copies a sorcery or instant yep. upon entering. And there's also Toxic Deluge, which was in the original 2013 decks. Toxic Deluge, did you do, let me see if I remember what that was. Was that the, um, minus one, minus one, like, and then like, I think it was like minus X, minus X spell? Yep, where the cost was X life. Calvin knows some things off the top of his head without access to the internet. Yep. Then we've also got Entomb, which is just search your library for a card and put it straight to your graveyard. We've got Squadron Hawks. So now you're telling me Squadron Hawk is there and Jace is there. Yep. Now all we need is a couple of swords, and we've got ourselves a, a vintage Masters deck. More like old standard vault. Oh, and they've also reprinted the Mother of Ruins with the Therese Nielsen art. Okay. Mother of Ruins. Yep. 
And then there's also stuff like Brainstorm, Innocent Blood, Swords of the Plowshares, Sinkhole. You know, like the the usual suspects, Counterspell. Yep. And that's really it for now. They're definitely going to have more spoilers going into the future. But that's a lot of what we have right now. And this is making me really excited to actually get that one box. Now, see, the one question that I do have that will have to be answered in the future, if Tomagork is going to be there. I really doubt it. And why? Tomagork is played in uh, Eternal format. It does, but that's really more of a modern star. Like, he does get played in Legacy. So, but this is their chance to, you know, print older, older cards. Not cards yeah. that we'll probably see in Modern Masters 3. Yeah, but you see, for me, this is like, I could easily see Tomagorf being there just because, you know, it's kind of one of the, like, hey, Tomagorf was here and he was in the Modern and then he was in the second version of the Modern. And now we're having another Masters or another format that Tomagorf could be played in. And you know what? Just stick him in there too. I want Tom McGuire to show up in all of these products just because of, one, the fact that he basically goes in all formats that he's available in, and two, inevitably, it'll just get to the point where everybody would just be so damn goyfed out. Oh, well. But that's what we got for it so far. And, and, and if he's in it, then we can go ahead and chant hashtag double goyf, son. <laughs> well, probably have to wait till next year for that. Anything in particular that sticks out to you, Calvin, from what I've said? Uh, Let's see. Out of the cards that were said, the ones that stick to my mind? are obviously Isochron Scepter and Jace and the Pyro and, and a blah, blah, blah. damn it, Prodigal Sorcerer, just because it annoys me. Um, Let's see, any other cards in that entire group of cards that was mentioned? I mean, I mean, a large portion of them are really good, and I can't really, like, confirm nor deny whether or not they would be something that would catch my interest. I mean, you know, as I said, there's, like, Animate Dead and all the other stuff, the artwork for what we were talking about. The imprint cards, like, you know, Mana Crypts, can't relate. Like, it's be, there, there's no cards that have been mentioned that I can look at and be like, no, no, I don't really care. Because pretty much all the cards that have been mentioned are cards where it's like, you know what? I kind of care. Uh-huh. If I had to say one actually sticks to me personally, though, it probably would be the natural order. Yeah, that but is that's just order. for like personal, like nostalgia, not just because, not just for like, you know, like, hey, I can't wait to open it. Like, no, I, I can wait to get a natural order. It's just, you know, like, oh, yeah, I remember when I had one of those and I did the thing and it was awesome. I'm looking forward to finally having a sneak attack. Like, that's a card that I really should have had for Collier for a while. Ooh, something. Alright, guys, so that's it for Eternal Masters. We're definitely looking forward to some of the ones that are coming out. Let us know which ones you're looking forward to, to having, only finally getting to play with. It's so exciting. Next up, we're going to go into our strategy segment, and we're going to try and define three aspects of deck building that I've kind of started to identify, you know, just from this alpha build project that Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. And here comes our obligatory drug reference. Ah, well, drug reference is going to have to hold on one second. You hear that, listeners? You hear that sound in the background? That's William off there murdering another one of his decks. Not murder, it's the kindness. Uh, pretty sure there's a doctor by the name of Kaborkian that would probably agree with you, but I'm also pretty sure that there are several state laws that would also be like, no, it's like, it, like, murder is murder. So in our strategy segment today, I want to go ahead and talk about three things that I've really been observing and harping on as I've been doing the alpha build videos, and that's power, card advantage, and presence. These are kind of the three things that I've been looking for 
as I've been scouring sets, you know, doing those $10 exclusive reviews for the Patreon, and looking and scouting prospects for Absence deck. You heard it here first, folks. William is looking for PCP. I am not looking for PCP. I I mean, I am looking for PCP, but I'm not looking for the PCP that you're apparently talking about. Drugs I, are for losers. They are, so don't do this. Hashtag William loses. I'm not doing drugs! I mean, I actually just can't afford it. Remember, kids, trading cards are cheaper. No, drugs are actually cheaper than trading cards. That's actually kind of bad. Anyway, so there's been three things that I've been noticing that, you know, Alpha Build Abyssin kind of lacks right now. And that's power, card advantage, and presence. Go ahead and talk about each one of them. The first two are kind of self-explanatory. Power is, in fact, just the raw, game-changing power. It is literally, this card's effect is so powerful, it actually just kind of tips the game into my favor. And that's a lot of what White doesn't have in those early sets. You know, I've been playing some some pretty janky stuff by today's standards. You know, they talk about the power that White has, and White's... No, no, not the power that White has. The power of just early magic spells. Are you talking about White power? I'm talking about... White is my specific example, but... Actually, no. I don't know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, yes, there are some really powerful spells in magic early heyday. Most of them are not in White and or legal in Commander. Which has actually been really hard for this deck to actually power out wins. You know, it gets to this point where people leave the deck alone. Because, you know, the deck is just kind of dirling around. It's not a real threat. But then it gets down to, like, me and maybe one or two other people who are almost dead, but not quite. And the deck lacks the punch to finish that game out. You know, it had Colossus of Sarpatia at, at one point, but that's just so expensive that it's not really a practical card to play. So it's just raw power. You know, the creature quality, okay, we understand that, that this is the age of magic where creature quality really isn't there. But the spells for white aren't making it up either. You know, there's spot removal like Swords of Plowshares and Wrath of God. And if you really want to, you could play Armageddon. But those aren't real power cards. You know, something like Balance is, you know, much more of a power card. But it's actually just straight Band Commander for what it does. Just, you know, just kind of grease the whole table with really, really bad. See, here again lies one of the things that I want to, like, bring up. Like, you know what? I understand that you're kind of building your alpha build decks and you're going through your project. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, it's like, I would kind of just look and be like, look, William got so little out of this particular set and he's working with so, like, with, with cards that are so un, like, underpowered that allowing you to use a banned card in your alpha build just seems like that would be fair for your playgroup. I mean, too bad you're doing it online. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if it were, like, you know, something that you were just testing out, like, in actual real with actual cards, I'm pretty sure that this would be the point where it's like, you know, what William's doing this project, his deck is the exception to the band rule. Not necessarily saying he's going, we're going to let him keep it that way, but, like, once it gets to the point where the card that's on your band list, once it gets to the point where the cards it com- combines with that put it on the band list become available to you, then it's no longer available. Just a restriction that I would have put up there. But you can't do that on MTGO. No, you know what you can't do on MTGO? Play with a lot of the, some of the really sweet cards that would actually help with some of the power issues. Like, I realize that banning is actually really great with Avacyn, but I'm using it as a way to protect Avacyn, and they're just better, they're going to be better cards that do that. The cards that I do get with stuff like banning don't have that punch. Like, I'm going to keep, you know, banning Flyers so that helps enable her aggro, 
But Avacyn is literally the only way this deck can win. If I can't win with Avacyn, then I hope I have enough, you know, control to actually do it, which goes into the next leg of this chair, card advantage. You know, white is notoriously bad at card advantage. You know, that's how they can allow white to have cards that literally answer everything. What with their exile permanence and their arrest effects and all that. You have to limit the the card advantage. The problem is, I'm only just now getting to that point where the deck can mitigate virtual card advantage. And what I mean by that is, you have a single card, like say, a titan, or anything that's just really big and powerful. Any sort of, you know, current engine. You know, a card that will give you an effect every turn. There's a lot of virtual advantage that comes into those. Like, oh, this really big titan is coming at me. I have to send cards to actually block it. Or I have to use my life as a resource to avoid letting it eat cards. And stuff like that. That card's accruing virtual advantage. It's not a physical card for card. But it's doing more work and they're getting more value for that one card they spent. By including one... I'm finally getting to the point with... uh, Mirage, where I can start including more removal. And I'm just now getting to that point where, because I can go one for one with my removal spell to their creature, or my divine offering to their artifact, then I can keep them from getting ahead because of that engine and that other virtual card advantage. So we're liking the power, we're starting to catch up on card advantage. The last one though is Presence, where you just have to have something that just screams Commander. I'm here. Exactly. You know, you have to have, you know, just that oomph. You have to have that BAM, you know? Like, Sarpadia kind of has that BAM. Like, it's a 9-9 golem for 9 mana. Which, it, it has that BOOM. But it's not going to come out there early enough to actually be there. So we might as well have no presence at all. Meanwhile, I'm having to play some of the smaller stuff now because I'm having to get, you know, picky about what's actually good enough to make the deck over spells that can actually do more than what those creatures are, sadly enough. A lot of these creatures just lack presence. You know, for this deck, Sarah Angel is a good card, but she lacks presence because all she is is a 4-4 flyer for 5. It used to be a time when that was actually a good thing, but in but when you think about like the decks that William will be playing against, they don't go by his card restriction. So, like, yeah, Sarah Angel might be the biggest like creature, quote-unquote, in William's deck. He'll be playing against someone who has no restrictions that's just going to slap a Baneslayer Angel or a Sun Titan or a whatever down and just kind of look at it and be like, cute. Yep. Now, there are cards that have a certain amount of presence because they're, they're like Rattlesnake cards, right? Like Pit Trap is a card that I managed to pick up and I want to say either Ice Age or Antiquities, one of those two. It's a two... No, it's definitely not Antiquities. It's a two-mana artifact that says pay to sack it, destroy target, non-flying attacking creature. So it has a presence in the sense of a pit trap. You know, it's like that, you know, it makes people realize that, hey, you don't actually want to attack here, otherwise something bad is going to happen to you. So it's got a little bit of that presence. When you start incurring a certain amount of power and people can't deal with that, they start looking for other ways, you know, to kind of nip at you, but they start focusing on other ways because they don't want to incur your wrath. That's the presence that a lot of the stronger cards have. So for a good... Uh, version of what presence would be from what I'm interpreting it as. It would be a card similar to like the circles of protection mm-hmm. because these are cards where only person they're really helping is William. Then they're disadvantaging any opponents of any of the other colors that happen to be playing those colors. And it gives them a good enough reason to kind of leave William alone until they can deal with the circle of protection. While granted, they probably could deal with it at any given point in time with a naturalize or any other type of enchantment destruction effect. It becomes the, is this the enchantment I want to destroy? Right. Like, they have that 
they have presence enough where people have to keep an eye on them, but they're not that pres that super high presence that demands attention. It's not that oh, I actually need to get away with this and keep them off of it. Divine Intervention was actually something I was playing for a while, which is that eight-man enchantment that says it comes into play with two counters on it, and when the last one is taken off, the game is a draw. It's just a straight four-way tie. That has a lot of presence. The problem is there's just it's a card that says you tie the game. Mm-hmm. Which is cool in its own right, but apparently other people don't like tying. They'd rather just either win or lose the game. So there's no, real, there's no real power behind it. It's not doing anything else. Right, yeah, because the thing here is, like, if it was just, like, a regular game of Magic, like, at a card shop with your friends and you play that card, yeah, great, you tied. And then your friends would continue playing the remainder of the game and just pretend as though you weren't there. Almost. Whereas online, you can't really do that. Your only option would be to start a new game. Yay. Yeah. So with presents, you almost want enough that people have to account for you, but not so much that people just, you know, auto-answer it. At the same time, though, if you have something that has enough presence that people auto-answer it, then that's the earmark of a card that's actually a real threat. You know, because you can have powerful cards that don't have a lot of presence. You know, stuff... Well, you do kind of want cards that need an automatic answer to them, like that, like, you're the, you said Divine Intervention? Yeah. You kind of would want to have a card like that available to you. Because it's one of those, it demands an immediate answer. Or else this game ends now. Which can easily help you draw out baits for, basically bait out like your opponent's removal cards for it. Therefore, when you play something else that's not nearly as threatening, but could easily help you like win the game in the long run, the answers for them are now kind of getting dwindled down. You know what? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's the, my real distinction between power and presence. Because you can have really powerful cards that don't have a lot of presence. And a lot of those are going to be, you know, some of our sleeper tech, it's going to be some of the things where people look at it and they go, okay, I see that, but I'm actually more scared of this other thing. Yeah, like, no, like your present cards would be like your Circus of Protection, your Isochron Scepters, your Nim Mantles, your Soul Ring. Cards that people look at and be like, man, that thing is going to be a pain in the ass. But I don't want to spend my removal on it just yet because it hasn't become a big enough pain in the ass yet. But then, you know, your power cards are cards where it's like, oh, no, I have to deal with this, like, immediately. So I would probably say, like, your divine intervention would probably go closer to a power card than a presence card. I mean, it has presence. It does make people sit up and take attention. But the usage for it is mostly for, you know, its power. It's the, oh, man, William is going to potentially lose his game. He's already down low. He's going to play this and then just try to suck up what he can for the next two minutes, for the next two turns, and then hopefully at least end the game in a tie. That, I disagree on that, because with the whole everything ends as a tie thing, that's not really, you know, immediately impacting the board. That's not saying... Oh, it does. It, it does immediately impact the board, because the board, in two turns, no longer exists because there will be a new game. Yes, but it doesn't, like, suddenly stabilize me, you know? If I play that when I'm in a bad position, I'm still in a bad position. I just have a bigger target on me. But that's your fault. And that's why I mean that's the difference between presence and power. Hashtag William Ties. If William Loses doesn't track, why would William Ties? Oh, so William Ties is, is worse than William Loses? You heard it here first. You heard it here first, folks. William prefers William Loses over William Ties. I don't actually know at this point. That's kind of amazing. Whew. So that's more or less the trifecta that I've kind of come up with for card evaluation and good deck building. You know, there's obviously a lot, it's a gross oversimplification of some of the details that you have to worry about, like, you know, card synergy, man, you know, your mana curve, stuff like that. 
But in terms of looking for what your deck needs, a healthy balance between those three. Like right now, again, we have a couple of cards that have good strong presence. We have some cards that will help us get carbons, but we have almost no power. And that's where a lot of these games fall short is that we don't have a way to punch through. Calvin, does this actually sound about right for what a good trifecta of good deck building would be? Uh, Yeah, it actually would be kind of a good way to go because you need the card advantage. Card advantage is an automatic include because if you're not trying to find a way to build card advantage, the next best thing would be like some form of card disadvantage causing your opponents to lose cards faster than you're actually gaining it, which in the term is just card advantage still. Mm-hmm. And then presence is okay because you kind of would, you don't want to be able to sit around and play a game with a bunch of like cards that don't really do anything at all because, you know, at that point it's like, yeah, you have cards on the field, but you're kind of still like a non-factor. And of course, power is there because everybody needs some type of card that's going to help them win. And you need, and only cards that help you win are typically cards that are very powerful. Right. In that is essence, like, how would you evaluate a planeswalker almost like that? Like, they're definitely card advantage and they're definitely presence. It's that immediate power that I'm actually skeptical on. Cause I think that's actually part of where, you know, a lot of that grindiness comes from is that the planeswalkers aren't immediate power. Well, I would have to say that if we're evaluating planeswalkers, this would be an unfair comparison because each individual planeswalker would fall into its own different category of either power, presence, or card advantage. Say, for instance, Jace the Mind Sculptor can be very easily perceived as a form of card advantage because of its ability to bounce creatures and be able to spry and help you do all the other stuff that Jace is doing in brokenness. And then if you look at like a card like Gideon Jura, it could qualify more into the power section because it shows up and it can be able to, you know, beat opponents' faces. Mm-hmm. And then when you go to, like, discard, like, planeswalkers that have presence, then that would probably be, like, Garrick Wildspeaker because Garrick would show up and, you know, it's not really destroying the board, it's not really doing much, but it's mere ability to gain you mana, get you a creature, or overrun at some point can be very useful just for it being present. So each individual planeswalker, depending on which planeswalker card it is, would happen to fall into one or more of these particular categories. And then there's cards like Tibble, which we just don't discuss. What? No, Tibble is clearly card advantage. All right, I'll let you have it. Here, take the soapbox. Say what you got to say about Tibble. Oh no, that's actually all I have to say. I mean, Tibble's Tib—he's card advantage because he gives you presents. Nice little gifts. And I'm going to assume that actually meant Calvin just wanted to do about something. So I was really hoping that Clay was going to be here to help talk about this, but unfortunately, Cal- er, Clay is not. Uh, so, all right, I'm back. What was that? Oh, I was just lamenting how I was really hoping Clay was going to be here because I wanted some of his feedback on it because Clay is actually probably the spikier of the three of us, but he's not, he's, he's, he's not like Eric and Aaron levels of spiking. So I was hoping that he would be here so that I could get his feedback on this. But it is, well, that's the thing. Like, there are, these are three valid things that, particularly any particular spike would want. A spike wants a card that's powerful because it's going to help them win the game. A spike wants a card that's going to get them card advantage because having more cards give you a better chance to win the game. More cards and having more card good. And having cards that have a good present is another... Re- it basically is a nice little middle ground between like power and not being playable. Yeah, but what are you going to do? So this is just kind of an open-ended discussion right now. We're going to come back to this in the future once I've had a chance to kind of evaluate some more cards. But what I want to hear from you guys in the background is whether you agree with me, whether you would, whether you disagree, and how you might personally tweak some of you know these three values and to kind of describe them, to kind of get them to fit a little more better, more betterer. 
more betterer. Yeah, maybe something like that. So more this, betterer. So this is actually just some food for thought for you kids at home. Next up, we're going to go into our technology segment. And this is something that Clay wanted to do, but we're going to go ahead and help him out here. Hopefully he, he, he may give this a listen to later. We want to go ahead and give him some help with his group hug deck. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Now, see, the reason, now, the thing about your uh, PCP that I find, like, kind of interesting for my own personal view mm-hmm. is it reminds me of when I did Crave. I'm sorry, what? Crave. Crave? Crave. Crave. C-R-A-V-E, Crave. Crave, like, is that an actual thing or what? Uh, it's something I did a while back when I was on a different podcast. It was called Crave. It was five things, like craving the attack, uh, creatures, removal, artillery, uh, venturing, and enduring, I think it was. I actually think I vaguely remember that now. Oh, yeah, take it apart, Space Crab. Yeah, so what you're basically saying is, is that now I've got to go ahead and find a way to squeeze Crave into another Commander Cast topic sometime or another. I don't know how you do that, but we may. So, for today's last segment, we're going to go ahead and Clay wanted to go over some, you know, group hug tech. So, Clay, wherever you are, we hope you're okay. This one's for you. So, Calvin, we're going to go ahead and talk about some group hug tech. And when Clay was talking about this, he wanted to just know some of our favorite pieces of group hug tech to include. And stuff like Forced Fruition does count. Because even though that's kind of bare huggy, you know, Forced Fruition is the uh, the six-drop blue enchantment that says whenever a player casts a spell, they have to draw seven more cards. It might actually just be opponents. I'm going to actually check. Yeah, it is opponent. So it forces them to draw way more cards than they can actually play. You know, it's kind of bare huggy. But it is huggy in that it's giving everyone else effects. And I believe it was for his Feldegriff deck, which is good news for me because there was actually a very nice card. Let's see, I want to say it's... Was it an Ice Age or Alliance? Damn, I can't remember what it is now. Damn, I can't use it. Of course you can't use a card you don't remember. Gather your thoughts. You lost some thought. Oh, well. But right Hashtag to... William loses. God damn it! That is not going to be a thing! It's going to be a thing, isn't it? No, by admitting it's going to be a thing, that actually discourages it from actually being a thing. Therefore, it is not going to be a thing. So are you dis- are you admitting it or are you not admitting it? I don't know. But I do know one card I want to go ahead and put out there, and that's Rites of Flourishing. So Rites of Flourishing is a three-mana enchantment that I am trying to type in while talking about it at the same time and doing horribly at. But it's actually from N12 and Future Sight. It says at the beginning of each player's draw step, they draw an additional card. So it's kind of like a Howling Mine. But it also yeah. says each player may play an additional land on each of his or ter- her turns. Yeah. So the first time you get to play it, you actually do get some benefit. You do get that second land drop. But then everyone else starts getting to draw extra cards. And it's one of those group hug cards I like because I can actually include it in non-group hug decks and not feel bad about it. One, because I get to start ramping a little ha- bit harder. But so does everyone too. And it just kind of makes the game go a little bit faster. And mm-hmm. honestly, I know that we talk about how stuff like Howling Mine is bad because... Other people get to play with those cards first, and you always get that guy who goes, Okay, I drew my extra card, naturalized the, the Howling Mine, thanks for the extra card jerk. My playgroup doesn't do that. Like, we're actually content to just draw extra cards for quite a few rounds before it just gets swept away by a board wipe or something. Right. But, but the thing is, like, Howling Mines are perfectly fine. And this one, at least you get the land out of it. 
So, like, you know, worst case scenario, at least you got to use it for something as opposed to just kind of, you know, you spent all your mana and got to do nothing. But in a group huggy deck, that's kind of what your deck is mostly going to be doing anyway, giving your opponents a chance to do things or at least giving them advantages that they that you can then later on exploit. And, you know, by giving them these things and they know that you're playing group hug, it then kind of, you know, either A goes one of two, it goes one of two ways. Either A, they completely hate you and then just try to do it the best they can to wipe you completely off the board because they don't want a group hug deck giving everybody something, even if it is helping them. Or B, it becomes the, they become overprotective of you and wanting to keep you in the game because you're giving everybody stuff, including themselves which means they get to get to their stuff quicker. So they kind of want you to be around because, you know, there's one less card they have to play to be able to draw extra cards or play extra land. Yeah. Now, the thing that I've always had with Polymize, I've actually been using it in the Alpha build with Avacyn since basically the first part. And that's been a key staple for her because I really need to be able to draw those additional cards. You know, part of that card advantage leg that we were talking about last segment. In some ways, it's also good. Because if someone does start taking those extra cards and they start getting out of control, by this time, you should have helped gas up the other players enough that they can help deal with the problem. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, this requires you to have not guys who go, no, I'm just going to let you guys deal with the problem while I just let them do whatever, which is what I do. But most of the time, there's going to be someone who panics and goes, okay, I actually kind of need to deal with that right now. And they right. will take care of it. So Howling Mind effects, there's more than just Rise of Flourishing. There's also like the Dictative, Crew Effects... There's the, what was it, Wellspring of Ideals, I want to say? There's one of the Commander ones. No, that's Ico Wellspring, Michael's Wellspring. What was it? Oh, there's mm-hmm. actually a card called Wellspring. Damn, I can't. Arbiter of Ideals, Enduring Ideal, Fallen Ideal, Monk Idealist, Dueling Grounds. Damn, I can't remember this one either. It was like that blue enchantment from the Mono Blue Commander deck. And it said you could, when it comes into play, you draw two cards. And then at the beginning of each person's draw step, they draw another card. Why can't I remember what that is? While William sits around and struggles to figure out the card that he's talking about, let's talk about a card that goes in group hug that Calvin wants to talk about. Now, here's a card that I play in my group hug deck, and it's called Teferi's Puzzle Box. Now, the reason why I play it is because, one, it kind of helps disrupt everybody's hand and draws them cards, so they kind of don't really lose anything out of it. But because you know that you're going to be playing it, and you're playing group hug, most of your cards are going to be, you know, just going into your deck and coming back out in any way, and you're just going to get a chance to reuse them over and over and over and over and over again. Or, at the very least, it's like, hey, like, I don't have the mana for this, or I can't use this card, might as well get rid of it for the time being. And since you're primarily playing a group hug deck, the cards you're playing are there to benefit your opponent. Now, it's one thing when your opponents are using these effects to their advantage, because, you know, they're trying to scope their hand to build the perfect thing to automatically win. But Teferi's Puzzle Box kind of helps keep that in check because even if they have like two of three combo pieces they need, Teferi's Puzzle Box is like, no, you got one, you got two choices. Put those pieces down in the field where everybody can see them and, you know, have them out there so this way people might have a chance to deal with them or lose them back to your deck and potentially hit the other piece and then just hopefully reconstruct your um, combo some other way. Hmm. I mean, that's not bad. I don't really see that as group hug per se. Hey, the reason why I see the group huggy is because, one, it helps the table get cards. It helps you go through your deck. You get to draw the cards you want. And you know what? If you want to play them, play them. But if you don't get a chance to play them, that's perfectly fine. Maybe it isn't time for you to play them. Here's a whole new hand of other cards that you might actually want to play now. I mean, he's not wrong. 
And then, you know, as I stated with like the whole breaking up a combo that hasn't been played out on the field, it's kind of a group huggy kind of concept because now it's like the entire table doesn't have to really worry about your opponent having a combo piece or building the perfect hand or scoping the right thing. Because, you know, if they are, they better do it and win. Because if you can win, you might as well put your win condition down and win the game now. But if you can't, then fine. They don't have to worry about it because next turn you're losing that hand. So unless you have like a way to constantly tutor up every piece of your combo with like a Liliana Vesta or something like that, then chances are you're never going to get a chance to actually construct it. Unless, of course, you're throwing down piece by piece onto the field as you get it so that it stays there permanently. In which case, now it's a good thing for the table because, hey, look, he's already got the sword of the meat and he's playing blue, black, white. And we know he's looking for his doctor foundry. Maybe we should try and do something about the sword of the meat. Not necessarily saying you should, but it's nice to know that that's what might be coming. So what you're saying is this is a good way to play group hug without enabling certain people to just run away with the entire game because suddenly they have so much card. Right. Okay. Or if they or, or or if they do happen to have so much card, it doesn't really matter. Like if your opponent has like a hand of like twenty cards and like a a reliquary tower or something to keep his hand from ever overflowing, if he doesn't have his combo piece now, then those twenty cards are going into his library and he's gonna be drawing another twenty. Alright, I can see that. Like, just enough disruption to kind of keep things fun, but you're giving everyone nice stuff anyway, so they can still do other stuff with what they get. Right. And for some people, that might actually be okay, because if they had a bunch of lands and stuff that they could, you know, and they didn't have any other spells, then suddenly they get into actual gas. Or if they do have a bunch of spells, then sure, they might lose that card, but they'll probably just draw it again later. Right. Or, you know, like, you know, like for the player that's behind, it doesn't have, like, you know, seven cards and then nothing but land, and that's all he's hitting. It's good for him because he gets to put his lands away and potentially draw a whole new hand and maybe actually have something so he can actually get into the game. For the player that has nothing but creatures but not enough mana, well, here's a good chance for your hand to go away and potentially give you the mana sources you need. You know, and depending on how you decide to play the cards in your hand and use them, you may or may not actually have access to another six or five or more cards, depending on how things go. But, you know, it basically, it helps the people who are behind. It disrupts combo players. And the only people that it doesn't really harm are people who are already ahead. So for a group hug card, it doesn't really hurt anybody except for people who could win the game. But if they could win the game, it doesn't really hurt them because they're going to win the game. Now, so here's the thing that I kind of like. Going on to another one that I would actually kind of suggest, just for me, my style personally, I've always kind of liked the political aspect of the group hug deck, in the sense that you can actually help people who are struggling to get into the game, help get back into the game. Like, I know a lot of people don't like the kingmaker aspect of group hug decks. They go, oh, they just throw their weight behind someone else, and then they win, and that's basically because two people teamed up. But well, the thing about group hug decks is that you have the chance to be a great equalizer. Where if someone has a ridiculously huge board state, then you kind of act like the cleric or the bard who powers up everyone else around you. So if someone's getting stuck on lands, then you have the chance to play stuff like Fertilid, which is such a cute little mustachioed insect. He's a 3-mana elemental and it comes into play with two on one counters. You can go ahead and pay 2-mana and take off a counter, target player searches for a land, and puts it into play tapped. Me, personally, I like you know, just counter themes in general. Not really the focus of the deck. I tried that once and it was way too hard to keep track of everything. But it's kind of just like a sub-theme or an engine type thing. Being able to go, here, here's a land to help keep you in the game. You know, stuff like that. A lot of the, um, 
uh, what was it? The, the Beckons, the Bargains, the Deals, Temptation, I'm gonna say, actually, what was it? I think it was Temptation. No, no, it wasn't Temptation, it was, uh... Yeah. No, it wasn't Tempting, it wasn't the, uh, the Offer Cycle. Or was it? It might have been. Let me check You're it out. talking about the offers, right? Yeah, I was! Okay! So yeah. The, temp, the, 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 the temp cycle is the, ah, yes, here's an effect, and I'm offering you a chance to do this other thing with me. Granted, I might get something else out of it. But, yeah, that's you know, the, hey, uh, you, the offering cycle. Like, intellectual offer, offering, infernal offering, uh, benevolent offering is actually one of my favorites because it makes spirits. So just stuff like that, effects where you can actually target other people with beneficial effects to help get them back into the game. Now, it right. does come with some responsibility to keep it from just becoming spiteful kingmaker, like, oh, you did such and such to me, I'm just going to let them win the game and all that. But being able to help keep people in the game, not necessarily stealing other people's wins, but helping people feel like they're playing magic rather than just sitting around looking at their smartphone for two hours. But the offer, the offer cycle is actually better for this because it doesn't really go into the kingmaker segment as much. Because with the offer cycle, typically, if you're making someone a king, it's typically yourself. Because with the offer cycle, it's more like the, hey, I'm going to return a creature from my graveyard. I'm going to give you the chance to take a creature from your graveyard, too. But if you take that chance, then I'm going to get two creatures, you know? Yep. So it's like, like yeah, you kind of are helping them. But if you're, quote, unquote, king making, you're king making yourself. And, you know, if you're, king, if you're crowning yourself, then that's not really a bad thing. That, like, that's not something people can get upset with. King making is closer to like say I don't know like joint forces like the joint forces card where it's like everybody who got involved with this gets the same equal benefit as what I've gotten as well. Mm-hmm. In which case it's like yeah now I've spent the mana and I've got all this stuff but everybody else has it and they're going to be going next. Let's see I want, I want to find one card in particular yeah stuff like then you get into some of the more political cards like the Dawnbreak Reclaimer which is one of the ones from last year's Commander product. It's the 6 mana 5 5 Flying Angel. At beginning of your end step, choose a creature card in an opponent's graveyard, and then that player chooses a creature card in your graveyard. You may return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's controls. You know, that commander's, uh, that year's commander product came out with a couple of cards like that that say, hey, you can make a deal with someone. So even if it's not, you know, helping someone get back into the game, there's a small p- political aspect to it that I find really cool that the gifts decks have the chance to do. Let's see. Uh,. What is, what's another card? But, uh, well, we can, I can obviously just say, like, Baby Jace, Jace Bellerin, he's a group hug card. Yep. But, you know, that's more like of a staple than anything else. But, you know, have to mention him, because if we don't, then we're not really talking about group hug without him. In my, uh, store, we call him Party Jace. Party Jace? Yeah, because when Uh, everyone gets to draw cards, it's a party. Gotcha. So, let's see here. Uh, what's another card that I play in my group hug deck? Um, Standstill. I play Standstill in my group hug deck. Well, let's see. But Standstill, that was the enchantment that says whoever casts a spell first doesn't get to draw two, two or three cards, right? I think it's um, if you cast a spell, your opponents draw three cards. Yeah, that one. Something like that. Uh, look it up for me because we're going to need the actual wording for it. All right, so Standstill. Uh, whenever, when a player casts a spell, sacrifice Standstill. If you do, each of that player's opponents draws three cards. And it's only two mana, so you can get it back with Sun Titan. Yeah. Now, the reason why I personally like playing standstill in my group hug deck is because typically when I have standstill, I break my own standstill. So it's like I'll cast standstill, and then shortly after that, I'll cast another card that's, you know, two or three mana or whatever, and then let everybody draw three cards. Because by doing so, I'm quote-unquote group hugging, and I'm helping everybody get extra cards. 
which then leads back into Teferi's puzzle box because now everybody has another three cards that's added to their hand that they'll also be shuffling back into their library to mess their other hand up and draw more cards at another point. So I let's see. I need to we need to find a Mark's uh, deck builder spotlight because he was talking to someone who had a photograph deck where they basically called it the uh, they designed it out of Ren the uh, the little finger from Game of Thrones. Actually, I'm gonna go look for that right now. And he's actually, gonna put it in the show notes. Yes, I am. Let's see. I'm looking at no, that's that's a Facebook rogue deck builder. No, it's not Ren. Uh, let's let's try photograph. There you go, Dan's Vars photographs deck. Yeah. Who do I serve you ask? It varies. Varies. That. That, that, that's the name. It was varies. I'm going with uh, episode six. five. It was six. Ah, shit. Well, that was close. Okay, so we're going to do Mark's Bill Spotlight in the show notes. And that will be there in the show notes for anyone who wants to check that out. Let's see. Other cards to go into a group hug deck. There's the Hunted Cycle, of course. Yep, there is the uh, Hunted Cycle. Which let's see. see. But if you combine with something like a Conjurer's Closet, you could actually just get someone all the tokens. Or even better yet, you can just be like the U.S. and start supplying weapons to every other country. Let's see. There's Blue Braids. She typically goes into a group hug deck. She typically does go into a group hug deck, but I remember that there's a pretty nasty combo deck that Annie and the crew had that actually, and oh my god, there's a standstill promo with Art of Soren holding up Dak Fading by the throat. <laughs> I uh, wonder which one of them got to draw three cards. Huh. <laughs> Oh, there's even a quote by Dag that says, You learn a lot in no time when you're about to get your neck snapped. Yeah, and learning a lot equals three cards, so that means Dak got to draw three cards on Soren. Ah, uh, but you know what? Soren probably don't care. He's got that vindic. Alright then, so anything else that you can really think of as far as, like, just stuff that we like for group hug? Well, me personally, I like Primeval Titan for group hug. Really? Primeval Titan? Well, yeah. I mean, one, he's banned in Commander. Yeah, but he's he's banned in Commander, but in my play group, he's only allowed in my group hug deck. Do elaborate. But that's because in my group hug deck, if Primeval Titan's attacking, he's getting me the land. And lands that I get in group hug are lands that are like, you know, like, oh, I tap his land for mana and give an op- a target opponent gets a token. Or, oh, I tap this land for mana, but it can only produce mana of a color an opponent has. Or something that's beneficial to everybody. Oh, let's see. I think there's something called, like, Rainbow something. Uh, it's like Rainbow... Yeah, Rainbow Veil. It's a land that says, tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And opponent gains control of Rainbow Veil at the beginning of the next end step. Right. So, like, in my group hug deck, it's like, you know, I have Primeval Titan, and I typically only attack people who either, A, have no pin, probably already, like, block it with, like, a Maze of Bip or whatever. But what the, but the lands that I get from him attacking are just lands that just kind of show up, and it's like, I oh, look, here's the extra mana I needed to be able to activate this other Feldergriff ability, so now I can give you something, or here's the mana that I needed to be able to get this rainbow land so I can be able to pass it around a table, or here's the land I'm just going to use to give target opponent a token, or whatever. It's like, you know, in my group hug deck, Primeval Titan doesn't really pull out anything to the point where it's like so damn powerful that he automatically wins. Because my group hug deck isn't about me winning. It's about enabling shenanigans, right? No, it's basically the, I'm not trying to win, I'm trying to see how long it takes for you to beat me. That's interesting, because the take I've already had with the group hug deck is that it's not about you winning so much as it's about creating stories. It's about enabling yeah. other people to do shenanigans. Right, and the thing is, like, with my group hug deck, it's the, yeah, I do create stories, I do help people, I do build up everything for them, but everything that's in my group hug deck is, here, you get to draw all these cards. Here, you can have all these effects. Here, you get to have all of this. 
And I have all these things over here that protect me from being attacked and from being damaged and from being killed. And I'm not trying to win the game. But in the same token, if you're going to beat me, it's going to take a long ass time. Okay. And mostly and most of the time, like, what was it? I've actually played my group hug deck against my brother Dennis a couple of times. And he compares it to basically an infinite horde. An infinite horde? Like yeah, like an infinite, it's an infinite horde deck. It's the there is no way to kill it because every time you attack and think you've got a way to win, there's just enough life points, just enough card advantage, just enough protection for the deck to be able to bounce back and either reset the game or rebounce this or return this around and bring things back around so that Calvin isn't dead. Why would you want Calvin to be dead? Because me and my brother are playing, he's trying to beat my group hug deck. But you're giving him stuff, right? Like, you're a group hug, so you're clearly giving him hugs. Yeah, I'm basically playing... I was playing basically a 1v1 game. It was just me versus him sitting around the house. And I have a deck based on giving my opponent stuff, and he still couldn't kill me. What's the longest 1v1, like, uh, commander game you've ever heard of? Um, probably no more than, like, what, 20, 30 minutes? Yeah, this game went on for about three hours. I'm sorry, what? Really? You're Really? Three hours? Three hours. Me and my brother sat down, 1v1, my group hug deck versus, I don't remember what he was playing, but it went on for three hours. Anytime his graveyard started to get to a point where it was getting too high and he was about to deck himself, I was able to find a way to, you know, take cards out of his graveyard and give them back to him and help him shuffle them back his deck, put them back into his deck. Anytime he got to the point where my life total was getting low enough, I was able to protect myself and get things back and reset the game or get my life total back up to where it was. So it's almost as if he's done nothing. But I didn't kill him. I never killed him. No, you most certainly did not. How did he take that? Like, was he frustrated by that or what? It had pissed him off somewhere around like an hour and a half in. <laughs> and, then, and then right about that point, he just kind of became determined to kill me. Then about an hour and a half after that, you know, I just got tired of playing. And, you know, it was time to eat and I went to go get food. And then I came back and we never talked about it again. I mean, I guess. I mean, we talk about it, but, you know, he, he basically doesn't play that deck. No, he, he's at his fill. Right. Only time, only time he'll play against me when I have that deck is if we're in an actual group of people, because then like the numbers add up enough to be able to kill me. Okay, yeah, because at that point you don't have to match someone on their resources. Right. Whereas with like it's basically because with my group hug deck, it basically boils down to if it's in a group, we can play group friendly stuff, and I can still be group huggy, and I might still die and lose and go on out the game or whatever the case may be, just like any other commander deck. But if I can survive long enough to make it down to the final two, if I won, it's because the other guy got tired of trying to fight me. Mm-hmm. All right, then. So, Calvin, was there any other, like, sort of tech pieces that we wanted to go ahead and share? Uh, I have a whole bunch of them, but I don't have my group hug deck with me. It's the, it's the if I knew this topic was coming up and I actually had access to my group hug deck, then I would have a lot more things to say and talk about, but I don't actually have it on me, so I can't go too much in detail about every little thing. All right, I think that's all right then, guys. So that's the end of our technology segment. It's time for us to take this to the outro. And William Lewis is not going. Uh, William Lewis is totally going to be a thing. Yeah, our listeners are smart. Yeah, they're smart enough to realize that William Lewis is a thing. It's not a thing. Yes, it is. It's, in fact, it's such a thing that it's going to become a tear on your Patreon. No, it, William loses when everyone has unsubscribed and the Patreon is at zero. <laughs> I 
Hashtag William Loses. This has been Commander Cast episode 249. I want to go and thank all my guests for showing up today. Hey, Calvin. Hey, William. So, it was actually just us today. Clay never had a chance to show up. So, apparently, now I'm just a guest. I've been demoted from co-host and editor. Yes. In the span uh, of an episode. That's is, kind of amazing. Like, like, like this This is what my life is boiled down to. Oh, you do this every week. So, if you guys... If you, we're going to go ahead and pass on that contact information right now. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm WIEHernandez at gmail.com. Or you can follow me on the Twitter. I am at BlueRam1409. Calvin, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? If people want to get out there and contact the captain, it's very simple to do. All you got to do is go over to Twitter, at Captain Red Zone, or hit me up in an email, gmail, captainredzone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the CommanderCast Facebook page. I'm over there. William's over there. When Clay's not being thrown into the trunk of a car, as if he's like one of those victims from riding with strangers, he's over there as well. But let's see here. And if that still isn't enough ways for you to contact, you know, people and get in contact with us, there's other ways you can contact us here. And that's simple, simply by going over to Twitter and hitting up at CommanderCast or hitting up the Gmail, CommanderCast at gmail.com or on the CommanderCast.com dropping a comment down underneath the episode. We read them. I have a tendency not to really respond, not because I don't read them, but because most of the time I'm usually like stuck in a corner crying tears into my own beer. But if you want to contact the show or if you're having pro- if you want to listen to the show, not just contact us. You want to go out there and find ways to listen to us. It's easy. If you have iTunes, we're there. If you have Stitcher, we're there. So if you're an Apple user, we're available to you. If you're an Android user, we're available to you. Mandercast is on YouTube now, apparently. So that also means that if you happen to have YouTube read or just happen to have access to YouTube and want to listen to the episode of Commander Cast, you can listen to us on YouTube. We're all over the internet. We're part of the MTG Cast network as well. So you can listen to us on mtgcast.com. And if you happen to go over to iTunes and you look down and you find us there, you have the option to leave us a review. And if you leave us a five-star review, we will read your five-star review on air right about this point here in the episode. So, William, do we have any five-star review? No, we don't, but we did have someone ask you about where you could go to leave those reviews. So remember, guys, you have to head to the iTunes store, and you have to actually look for Commander Cast. We'll be under that MTG Cast feed. So it'll be the MTG Cast thing pointing to Commander Cast. Go to the ratings and reviews. Go ahead and leave one. You can write a review there. And that's how I'm going to be able to find it. So let's see here. So there's no five-star review on Stitcher. We already talked about being on iTunes. I would talk about all the places you can locate us at. We're also on Reddit. We have a Commander Cast Reddit page for you listeners who want to go out there and get your Reddit on. So feel free, hit the Waffle Cone up. Let Waffle Cone know about how you feel about the episode and type your comments in on there. Now, let's see here. Right about this point is where Calvin then reminds each and every one of you listeners about a thing William told you about at the beginning of the episode because CommanderCast has a Patreon. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You can go over to Patreon.com and type in for CommanderCast, and you can find us over there. You can donate money to the show. And if you only want to donate a single dollar, that's cool. You can leave us a tip in our tip jar and just a tip. And if a little extra happens to slip in, we won't complain. And you know why? Because we have another tier for that called a little bit extra at the $2 mark. And then at the $3 mark, you can throw in comments and come up with articles or things you want us to discuss here on the site and on the show. Hey, you want to hear me and William sit back and talk about legends? You want to hear me and William sit back and talk about the alpha build? You want to, you want to hear comment? You want to hear me and William go back and forth over two of your favorite commanders to determine which one would probably beat the shit out of the other one? We'll do it. We'll do it. 
three dollars all you got to do is just donate right there and on top of that there's a few other tiers available to you on patreon where you have access to videos earlier and you get a chance to look at things that we're doing with this alpha build earlier and there will become other points that inevitably will be coming around because we was talking about a technology tier at some point or another am i right Technology post is going to go up as soon as I am done recording this podcast, which means by the time you guys hear this on Monday, it will actually be up for the final week of voting. All three posts will still be up, and I'm going to keep those open until, let's say, what we got? We'll say June 3rd? Yeah, June 3rd. We'll say June 3rd will be cut off for any nominations and voting. Okay, so... In order to vote, they have to donate for what? For the, what is that like a tier in and of itself, or is it a they, part of the three dollars? They have to donate at least three dollars. Okay, so if you donate three dollars, you can be part of the community because you can go ahead and come up with a community topic that we'll discuss. You could be part of strategy because you can make us talk about a particular strategy or deck concept you want, or you can be involved in technology and have us talk about your favorite secret tech. We'll do it right here. All it takes out of your pocket is three dollars. Um, I believe we've touched on everything that needs to be touched on. Let's see here. There's, a, there's one other announcement, though, and that's that I'm going to be at GP Columbus the weekend of June 10th. Okay, so William will be out there, GP Columbus. So, listeners, if you happen to be in the Columbus area, you go into that GP, look around. There'll be a guy there. His name will be William. Are you going to be judging? I am not going to be judging. I am going to be hanging out. I'm, I might do some side events, but because it's a legacy GP, I don't really have a dog in this deck fight. So I'm just going to be hanging out and checking out. I'm going to be checking stuff out. I'll be selling some of my stuff. And I'll be doing Commander. That's what we're yeah, doing. Yeah, so, so when you get to GP Columbus, go check out the side event. There will be a long-haired fellow over there named William. Walk right up to him and just whisper in his ear, hashtag William Loses, and he'll know that you are a Commander Cast listener. That would be a little creepy. I'm not going to lie. All right, guys. So big thanks to everyone here at the Commander Cast Network. Love you all. Love the content that we still manage to get out there every week. We still have rival stools. Still have in general. That's what it's called. I didn't even finish loading. I finally got it. It's called in general. Yep. So let's see. If you go over to CommanderCast.com, you get Rivals Duel. You get in general every other week. You'll get Coast to Coast Commander, which is a new podcast that we now have coming out on the site, and it is awesome. And on top of that, you have me and William and Clay and occasionally, sooner or later, Mark and any other guests that we happen to have over here on Commander Cast Prime. And you also have access to the stack, which shows up. So this content available to you. And if you happen to have Stitcher, all of the podcasts that are available on CommanderCast.com also show up there. Now, granted, we still haven't figured out how to actually get the CommanderCast logo on Stitcher because, quite frankly, I've tried tried and i've tried and i just can't figure it out and i just gave up a while ago but hey it's available all right guys so music for our show is the x meets heaven metal series by 331 e-rock we'll see you next week for more community strategy and technology until then let's get it
Oh, I dropped one of my basic lance. Hey, the lance is down. William is out. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Commander Cast. I am your host, Captain of the Red Zone, also known as Calvin. So Tonight, if you're the host, does talking? that mean we start trending hashtag Calvin loses? Uh, no, because Calvin doesn't lose. Calvin leads because I am the captain. Now, losing happens. I mean, you know, have you ever read the Odyssey? I mean, you know, Actually, even the I captain. Have, yeah. Of, yeah, like even the captain of a really good ship that's been led out to war and has done things sometimes will only come back with one person. And, you know, I don't guarantee the safety of anybody who happens to decide they want to sail with me. I mean, I'm sailing with you, but. I, I don't guarantee your safety, sir. <laughs> I thought it was relatively okay, though. Nope. That's. That's not a good. That's not a good thing, Calvin. Hey, I never said it was easy. No, it, you never do make it easy, do you? No, I do not. I make <sighs> it hard, hard and rough, oh, just my... like my mattress. <sighs> dangly bits. Yeah, dangly bits. What's new in your life? Let's see, dangly bits. What's new in my life? Uh, did I talk about Yandere Simulator yet? No. Have you started? Pl- what? You pl- did you actually start playing Yandere Simulator, or are you watching someone else play Yandere Simulator? Uh, I'm watching people play it. Thank Okay. Whew. Why? I I haven't actually had a chance to watch the game yet, but I do know what Yandere's typically are, and I've actually see, I think I may have seen some screenshots of it. Yandere's are scary, bro. Yeah. Uh, for any listeners out there that don't know, Yandere Simulator. It is a game that is currently in development. The developer for Yandere Simulator has put out a. Basically, he puts out like a playable version of the game. So a beta? it's not like yeah, it's basically a beta, but it's not like a full like it's not the full game. It gets updated like twice a month, give or take. And the end result of basically what it is is you play as this young Yandere girl, and she's in love with a high school boy. And the problem here in the game is is that she can't confess her love to him because she's so shy and so bashful and so innocent. And what is that bitch over there doing talking to my senpai? Because senpai is the name of is basically the na- the name used to describe the person that the girl has a crush on. Right, you, so the Yandere, main character. Yeah, so Yandere has a crush on senpai, and there's other girls at the school that have crushes on senpai. And by the end of the school week, if Yandere doesn't get a chance to confess her love to senpai, then one of these other whores is going to take her senpai away. And we can't have that in Yandere Simulator. So what are we going to do? We're going to go ahead. We're going to find some way to get these whores out of our senpai's life because he deserves better. He deserves us. And the end result basically is, is like, you know, maybe we'll get this girl expelled because she happens to be carrying cigarettes in her purse, even though she does not have cigarettes. Or maybe some rumors will be spread about her and she'll never show up to school again because everybody will know that she is a whore. Or, you know, maybe she would just not show up to school anymore because we've kidnapped her into a box and taken her into the basement of our house and tortured her for 18 hours. Or maybe she just won't show up to school because we've just killed her and dismembered her body and threw it into the inferno and burned it up and burned away all the evidence that she's there. And she just ends up on the missing person list. Yeah, but we're doing it for senpai because true love, true love, ladies and gentlemen, comes at a cost. And that cost in this game is other people's lives. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Yandere is a very scary archetype. Like, there's actually a, a very nice illustration of... There's basically a comic explaining that, oh, guys always say they want a Yandere girlfriend, but then suddenly they're all like, oh, oh, please don't kill me. Because, of course, when your senpai is going out and seeing other girls, it's not just the other girl you have to punish. You have to make sure that senpai remembers that you're the one who loves them most. Mm-hmm. Just and, really scary stuff. But Well, the main thing for... The main problem with a Yandere... It's not the fact that you want a girl who loves you as much as a Yandere does. 
like I, I would make the assumption that anybody who wants love wants someone to love them as much as Yandere does. Well, Yandere's go to like an obsessive levels of possessiveness. Yeah, that's the thing is, that's the hallmark of the. Yeah, yeah, but see, here comes the issue where you know it, the problem with a Yandere is you want someone that loves you as much as a Yandere does, but typically the person that loves you as much as a Yandere does is not the person that you want. Hmm. I mean. It's the, like, you know, like, like you know that girl that you like at school, that really hot chick that sits over there that you've always had a crush on, that you've always kind of wondered how things would go if you and her got a chance to at least get a chance. If you got a chance to just show her, show her the kind of person that you are, she would just fall head over heels in love with you and wouldn't want to be with anybody else but you, right? I mean, you would, and it's like, you know, people, like, people want that kind of love problem is is that the yandere girl that falls in love with you with that type of love is typically the girl of the corner that you're not even giving a second look at the girl you're not even trying to show any interest in and you're looking at it like uh you forgot her name but it's like yes yeah, yeah you she's been in the same school with you for like the last like two three years you guys have been in the same homeroom for like the same amount of time still don't know her and yet for some reason every time you happen to feel like eyes burning into the back of your head it always seems to be coming from that same direction where that girl sits. Huh. So what we have here is it's al- it's almost a double standard sometimes, and it's not one that actually gets talked about a lot. Like if it's a girl who's kind of, of creeping and stalking on a guy, it's kind of it's cute, it's endearing. But you know, if it was a guy doing that to a girl, or even a guy doing it to another guy, that'd either be one played up for comedy, or two creepy as fuck. On the other hand, you know. Actually, it, it is a good comedy because what was that movie? There's something about Mary. So, you see, I feel like I've heard of that one, but I don't think I've actually seen it. It has Ben Stiller in it, and he ends up falling in love with this girl from high school. Her name is Mary. He ends up um, messing up, I think, on her on like prom or something like that, and doesn't see her. And then once he gets older, he kind of wants to look her up, so he hires a private detective to locate her. Come to find out, like the private detective tells him, he never found Mary, and he or he found Mary, and ends up being like this picture of this like really old chick who's like got all these kids and is really out of shape, and he's just not that attractive, not that attractive to him. Uh-huh. But come to find out, like no, Mary, the real Mary is not old. She's not doesn't have a bunch of kids. She hasn't lost any weight. She still looks the same. She lives alone and she's single. And now the private detective is also stalking and falling in love with her. And, like, the whole movie is based around this girl named Mary, who pretty much has all these Yandere stalker-like boyfriends. All, like, ex-boyfriends, private detectives, this guy from high school, all these guys who, once they meet her and get a chance to know her, fall so head over heels in love with her that they would pretty much do anything that they can to fight one another to get her attention. That, yep, that's a reverse harem. But even so, like, I've just seen bad Yandere's before where it's, like... All, all they really are are played for laughs, and there's a certain amount of possessive that also gets into like controlling. Like there's a, there used to be a, not stop motion. There used to be like a MS Paint animation type thing that I would watch when I was in like middle or high school called Naruto Randomness, where the uh, creator would take like random sound clips and then animate them with Naruto characters. And one of them was a comedian talking about crazy girls. Crazy girls who basically go off on you anytime you talk to, like, just a random girl, or they're like, you know, she'll come up to you and be like, hey, that girl gave you food, what the hell, how long have you been seeing her? And you'd be like, she's my mom. Like, it just gets to that level, where it's actually more of a turn off than anything else. Now, as far as your endearments go, 
I'd rather be Yonder playing. Hot. Hot. I'd rather be playing hot to a boyfriend. Like yonders are hot. I don't know. Like I actually do think there is some. There's there's some moe traits that with characters that are a little creepy and maybe they're a little bit stalkery or a little bit obsessive. But the yonders just always turn it up way too high for my taste. No, yonders are hot. Oh, I did get, finally watch Fully Cooley. Oh, so how did you like it? I was kind of confused until I had a friend explain to me that it's one of those shows you have to watch like two or three times because apparently yep. it's about, you know, ironing out creativity and trying to get everything neat and uniform, which mm-hmm. I just completely missed because I'm trying to... to Even though there's up. a giant iron in the background of the show. Yeah. Like I knew that, like I figured it was an iron, but I didn't get that whole, they're, tr- they're actually the bad guys and they're trying to stamp out creativity until like the very last episode when they actually explicitly said that. I need to watch some of these earlier episodes and find out where the hell that came from. Not only that, but when Ashley was asking me if I noticed about the animation quality, I told her no, and she was surprised. Like, these six episodes had the entire budget that the whole run of Evangelion had. Mm-hmm. So that actually gives them a lot of money to put some real good quality and detail into these scenes. And I just don't notice it because, again, I'm trying to keep up with all this craziness that's going on. So it's like one of those shows that I have to watch again to try and understand it a little better. I don't actually want to watch it again because I didn't understand that well to begin with. Right. I mean, it doesn't just, it's one of those shows where it's not like Bobo Bobo Bobo, where basically it pretty much tells you this is what the show is about from the very first episode. You kind of have to watch it. And then once you watch it, it's like, oh, now I get it. Now you go back and watch it. And it's like, oh, now this makes sense. I actually really, really like Bobo 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 Bobo. That's actually one of my favorite comics growing up. Let's see here. Uh, other things that are random that I've been getting involved with. Uh, I went camping for the first time this past weekend. How'd that go? Like, was it actual, like, in the woods, roughneck camping where you had to pitch a tent and all that? Or was it, like, RV camping where you go to, like, a park? Nope, nope. It was in the woods. I was in a tent. By yourself or who with? I was with a couple of friends. Uh, pretty much what it boiled down to. And, you know, the, the, the basis of what caused the trip to happen. A friend of mine and his girlfriend were going are going through some issues, and they needed a third party to be able to kind of be like a counselor to kind of talk to them. All right. And they invited me to come along on his camping trip to basically be the voice of reason. So this way, when he starts going off or saying the wrong things, I can kind of like calm him down and tell him to stop talking and, you know, try to, you know, talk with her. Or when she starts going off and try to, you know, start going off on him, I can try to calm her down to be able to be like the mutual like Jiminy Cricket just sitting there trying to help these two Pinocchios figure out the best way to work out their relationship. Mm-hmm. So I basically was uh, kind of like a marriage counselor right. for a night. Yep. And, I, you know, slept in a tent and it rained. Tent had leaks. I got wet. I made s'mores. Got a chance to start a campfire. Those two things were cool. The overall experience was alright. The camping part wasn't nearly as bad as I initially had thought it would be, even though it wasn't, even though it's exactly what I thought it would be, it wasn't as bad as I had envisioned. Mm. It's the, like, in my mind, this sucks. This is horrible. Why would I want to pretend to be homeless for a night? And then I do it and it's like, well, it's all right. It's not something that I would like, you know, shoot to the moon and be like, hey, everybody, you should go camping. They're like, no, I'm not, I'm still not promoting that people should do it. But it's one of the, I can understand why someone might want to do this, but in the same token, this is not something that I think I really would be that invested in trying to do again. Calvin, why wouldn't you want people to be homeless? Hmm? Because I've been camping. I've seen what it's like. It's not that great. I mean, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, but it ain't nothing really, like, worth, like, 
you know. If someone wants to be homeless, they should be homeless. Yeah, if they want to be homeless, they can be. You know, my friend was talking, like, you know, the, the site that we were at apparently actually have, like, a monthly fee there where if you wanted to basically buy a tent and then just kind of live on the ground, you can. Huh. I, you know, you always have those stories where it's like, the kid imagines going off and living out in the wild or someone is so tired of their job and their life that they just want to get away from everything and to live, you know, apart from everything else. Mm-hmm. But that still actually requires money if you go to a park like that. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like I looked at it and I was like, it's the if you have a car, right? Yep. And you have, I don't know, a, a, a decent tent, something that if you put it up, you don't have to really worry too much about, you know? anything then yes i could see it because it's like you have your car you have your job you drive off you go to work you come back you go to sleep in your tent you go do your laundry when you feel like doing it you don't have to worry about paying electrical bills you don't have to worry about paying for this you ain't got to worry about paying for that because you don't have access to it because you're li- basically you live woods but you know it's the i can see how someone could do it if they wanted to live that lifestyle where that you know, life. yeah you know like if you're about that life then i can see it but in the same token, it's the it's not something that I would do. No, it's not something I would do either. I'm not the camping sucks variety. And you know, it's one of those like like yeah, like I can see someone doing this. And you know, in wor- in worst case scenario, it's the I can easily see this being something that someone does because they're at that point where they're either a down on their luck, b just don't feel like dealing with people, or c it's just something that they've always wanted to do. Like, how much does it actually cost to literally live at tent? Well, basically, in the, at this particular site, I think the amount for the spot is, like, 500 a month. That's only, like, 100 less than what I paid for rent. Right. In a but house. As yeah, but you see, the thing here is, is that this is also in New Jersey. Ah, okay. So you have to remember, like, where you live at, I'm pretty sure, like, if you decided to do that, I'm pretty sure whoever was doing the camping thing in your area is probably less. But, like, here is one of those, like, everything here is expensive. Even being homeless is expensive. Or, you know, living in a tent is basically. That's kind of depressing. What I was saying, it's the, the thing is, if you rent the site, you don't have to just put a tent there. I mean, you can put a tent there. But it's the, like, if you got everything you wanted, like, you know, like, you got, like, a gas generator so you can have electricity and heat and whatever the case may be. Or, say, for instance, you got, like, a, a nice truck or RV or whatever, something that you could feel comfortable just kind of parking there, then yeah, you're fine. Because you basically have like a mobile home that you just live in. Hmm. But in the same token, it's the you would be still quote unquote living in the woods and you would still have access to it. And it's already kind of like a small little community in that particular area where that camp is at. So you would basically just be living in a community around other people who basically prefer to hunt and chop wood and do all other kind of woodsy wilderness kind of things in their time when they're not trying to, you know, work. And half of them probably just work out there doing other stuff that's involved with the community that kind of makes it so they don't have to travel as much. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the, it's the, it, you could live this life if this is life you chose to do. But in the same token, if you're not a city person, this is a nice way of having like a, I guess like a more laid back, less hustle bustle concept, but still be in New Jersey. Yeah, that makes sense. But me personally, it's like I like 24-hour diners. I like having access to the internet. I like being able to do my podcast. I like having an electricity and having an air conditioner where it gets too hot, cold when it gets too hot, and a nice fan and a nice heat when it gets too cold. The fact that I have to like you know go out and get generators and then do all this extra stuff and kind of like pretty much you know woodsman it up. 
I like tables that can play trading. I'm not ready to convert to motorcycles. Yeah. So you see, like you know, I like my life. Well, I like my lifestyle, and it's not something. It's the. It's nice to know that this is an option if this were something I chose to do. But I don't think that I would choose to do it. So. Nope. No. Happens all about the mountains, not them forests. Whew. I think yeah. that's about it for the night. Yep, that's just about it. We've got our dangles. We've got our show. Our listeners will shoot us in the morning. And, you know, hashtag William Loses will be a thing. That's not going to be a thing. That's going to be a thing. That's not going to be a thing. You say that. If it turns out to be a thing, I'll eat my hat. You don't have a hat. Exactly. So, therefore, it's not going to actually trend. No, it'll be a trend. And then I'll have to buy a hat and send it to you. And, like, here, here's a birthday gift for you, William. Now, are you going to send me an actual hat or are you going to send me a helmet? It's going to be a helmet. I'm going to make you eat your hat. But you sent me a helmet. I can't eat a hat if you gave me a helmet. A hat is a helmet. Kind of? Not really? Like it's, it's, it, it, it's, the, it's like the bobcats are all bobcats. Like, all tigers are cats. Not all cats are tigers. All I mean, hats I, are helmets. Not all helmets are hats. I mean, I guess I can get behind that. Not all hats are helmets, but all helmets are hats. Yes. I just don't think of helmets as hats. Is there a hat? No, I, I refuse to eat a helmet because that's not a hat to me. Well... Maybe you just need to get stronger teeth. No, I need to find a dentist that I can actually reliably go to in my area, because apparently there's like 20 different dentists in Reynoldsburg alone. That's not an exaggeration. They're like chiropractors. They're everywhere. Yes, they are. And they all want a piece of your mouth so they can make you eat your helmet, because hashtag William Loses is going to be a thing. That's not going to be a thing. Sponsored by Williams Local Dental Association. Uh, uh, the pyromancer that just taps and burns for a single one? Yep, the prodigal sorcerer. The blue one. Yeah, the blue one. That bastard. And he's got, like, a major facelift. This this has to be, like, his son or something. Like, there's some stuff for vintage here, so, some legacy. Like, they're reprinting all the tutors. Yeah, but see, the thing is, like, you know, Tim comes from a time back when, you know, I looked at Wizards of the Coast, and I'm like, what the hell are you guys doing? Taking all these great red spells, taking all these great black spells, and you don't know what to do with them just yet, because for some reason, blue just has to have its fucking finger in every little thing. But blue's the color of magic, and magic's the name of the game, so clearly blue does everything. But if that's the case, then why would you have, like, anything else? Like, if blue is the color of magic, and the name of the game is magic, then there's no real reason to have any other color then, correct? There you go, now you're thinking. Yeah, so why would they, you know, make a game about the color blue? And because everybody knows that's what you feel like, and that's how you look after you've played a game with that particular deck or against that particular deck, completely blue in the face. Ooh, boy, there's so many good stuff. I'm actually going to split a box with my girlfriend. That'd be awesome. Hope she doesn't get the half with Force of Will. All right, then. So, Kevin, have you actually seen the all of the spoilers for Eternal Masters so far? I haven't seen shit. Ah, okay. Well then, we will go ahead and just go through this. <clears throat> Alright, sorry, had to yell at a child. Yet again. Yet again, Calvin. So, great, uh, greater nature, uh, great, I actually... Shut off? But natural order, there we go, natural order. It's got this laugh- oh, yeah. the laughing, it's got the laughing monkey art. Hell, we'll always scratch it for topics, why not? Yeah, it was mostly for, it could easily fit into strategy. It could, actually. It very, very well could. Let's go ahead. Pull this out real quick. That's what he said. I mean, you don't want to pull it out quick, otherwise it might actually... Do I actually have... Oh, I do! How about that? That's what he said. No, no, you don't want to pull it out quickly, otherwise the condom might slip off, and then you got problems. Condom? Oh, that's right, you actually have kids. Mm. 
On the other hand, I've only got like four decks left to break apart, not counting Kalia. Three of which are the ones that I want to actually write down the list for. So I guess that's what we're doing at the dojo. I guess I guess that I must tweak my decks more often than I think I do. Then I don't think I've ever actually come to a point where I've needed to take that many decks apart. Well, like the only only decks that I've ever had to like take apart like that, where it's like yeah, I played that I built it and I'm taking it apart, are decks where I was like doing like the um the guild run. Yeah. And it's like yeah, here's a deck that I put with these particular mechanics together, and this and this deck sucked. Now they're all in a box somewhere. I'm pretty sure the deck, quote-unquote, is still together. The cards are probably still bundled up inside a shoebox somewhere. But as far as, like, actually, like, sleeved up and in my accessible decks, no. And even then, it's like a handful of those decks actually made it out of that thing alive and are still decks that are in my thing. All right, ready to go into... Do I actually want to keep the list? I don't think I actually want to because I'm going to change what this deck does. Why don't you just take the list for the decks that you haven't taken apart yet, type them up, put them on tapped out, and then just have the list available? Because those ones I want to keep so I don't forget what they were, so I can basically use that as a base. But this is one of the wedge decks that I have, and the wedge decks are going to be my first project anyway. So I don't think I actually need to write down the list because I'm just going to rebuild it again anyway. So? Yeah, I do. Let's go like, if you had, you said you had 27 decks, right? Yeah. If you have 27 decks on tappedout.com or tappedout.net right now with all of the various decks that you've built ready for any listener to look at it and be like, yes, here's decks that William had built at some point or another. Then you take those decks apart and put them together and do your new versions of them or whatever it is. It basically would boil down to you having like a good like 50 decks that any random listener could look at and be like, do a comparison of here's how William built deck when he first started playing or when he first started doing Commander. And now here's Dex after he's had a chance to actually learn some stuff and actually play the format more. Oh, those are long gone. Like, this is just one of those decks that it's a victim of... I mean, it would be just like your... It'd be exactly like your um, alpha build without having to go through all the alpha stuff. Well, see, that's what I'm saying, is that the deck that I'm currently thinking about doing that, I realize it actually fell victim to the whole I modify it without actually playing it, and then it just gets so... It fights itself for what it actually wants to do. So I need to kind of restart it so that it has a much stronger unifying. All right, then. Well, whatever. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, but Morath, Sigarda, and Niv are okay because they actually never got away from that. Yeah. Ashley never got away from them 99 mountains. Ah, oh, man, that Ashland deck, they're playing some pretty rude stuff. Like a card that actually just says destroy all basic lands that share a name with target basic land. Yes. That was rough. As long as they don't pick mountain, it's fine. Alright. Medicast.com